Amen. Thank you, choir. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to the uh, end of chapter 12 in the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to be going through chapter 13. When we lived in Kansas from 1994 to 2001, prior to coming to uh, Shafter here, there were a number of, uh, uh, I, was, I, I could say, drug dealers in our church, and you go, oh, wow, that, wow. Well, they were more like pharmaceutical reps, but we kind of kiddingly called them drug dealers. And uh, there, were, there were a number of them over the years we were there, and they, they covered uh, that part of Kansas, western Kansas, kind of the central part of the state, someone up into Nebraska, down to Oklahoma, over to eastern Colorado. So it depended on company and how much they wanted to spend on any particular person and driving time and all that kind of stuff. But they were, they were in a sense, they were sent by their companies to do what? To sell a product. Now, they were often crisscrossing paths and selling similar things, but the point being, whoever they worked for expected them to put their best foot forward as they went into doctor's offices or hospitals and said, hey, we have a product that will help thus and such. Well, in a, in a far greater way, and for these reps, they realized this too, they had a higher calling, a higher sending, and that was they were sent to shine for Jesus Christ. And so as they represented their company, they were representing something and someone far more eternal, and that was Jesus. But that's true of all of us. All of us are commissioned, in a sense, by the Lord as missionaries, sent to shine. If you know Jesus, you have a mission field. We talked about that last week at our sister church, Laurel Glen. I think it's still there. As you leave their parking lot, you see a sign that says, Welcome to the mission field, or you're now entering your mission field. And that's true. This is not the mission field necessarily. We do things here that are mission-oriented, but the mission field is out there. And so as we will see the beginning of the first missionary journey of Paul Barnabas and John Mark, or Mark, the author of the gospel, as we will talk about, in the same way we have been sent to shine. We're going to be looking at the first missionary journey, or the beginnings of it, and uh, so way back when we started this series, there were some maps in the foyer that you could pick up and stick in your Bible, or if you already have something in your Bible, I'd encourage you to kind of put a finger in there, because we'll be looking at a map, there will be ones on the screen also. If you didn't get a map and you'd say, oh, I'd like one of those maps, when you leave this morning, or you know, if you want to just get up right now, it's not going to throw me off, just grab one and come back and be seated. But uh, we're going to be looking at those maps this morning, and I know the kids have those in there. The older group has those in their bulletins too, so they'll be following along. Well, let's pray together and ask God to be our teacher this morning. Lord, we bow in your presence, thanking you for your love and your grace, and we thank you for mission. The mission that started way back on the day of Pentecost, but in many ways it started in eternity past. As you knew in your sovereign knowledge what was going to happen, you were already preparing an answer. And you started that mission through, after Adam and Eve's fall, began that mission of, of bringing redemption to mankind. And through, through Abraham, Lord, through the patriarchs, through Moses, down through the ages to Jesus as he came and uh, is and was that Messiah that came, the, the Savior of the world. And then, Lord, in that, on that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon your people and filled them and sent them to shine, the same is true today. Each of us who knows Jesus is sent to shine. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll just burden us with that, that responsibility, but also 
encourage us and excite us with that privilege. Who knows what the rest of today or tomorrow may hold as far as our mission in this world. We pray for any today that may be watching through live stream or, or here this morning with us. If, if they don't know Jesus, that mission begins by trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior. And may they do that today. Help us to continue to reach out to those contact points as we call them in every one of our lives. May we prayerfully follow your leadership as we look for those opportunities. Help us, Lord, to shine forth individually and corporately as we follow Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'd like to suggest three things that we're going to look at this morning. It's a fairly lengthy passage, so I can't go into too much detail, but I do want to just give us some application as we go along, as we think about our own personal uh, commission, our own, our own mission, if you want to call it. The first thing is being sent to shine means having the Lord's and the church's blessing. Having the Lord's and church's blessing. When we think about our mission in the world, it's not just us, although it is us in some ways, but it's us together. And so we are intricately linked together in the body of Christ. I represent Jesus, and I also represent you. You represent Jesus, and you also represent me and the rest of us. And so as we think about our, our, our being sent forth and letting our light shine, as Randy read from Matthew chapter 5, it, it, it's a good time, great timing for us to have communion because we need to look at our light and say, is there some dirt on my light? Is there something in my life that is hindering the light of Jesus from shining forth? Are there things that I'm doing uh, the things that I say to people, the way I treat them, the things that I, that I, the way I express myself on social media, and my goodness, there's new media formats coming out all the time. I can barely keep up. I can barely use my cell phone, let alone know what the elect app is for communicating. But the point being, everything you and I do sends a message. Everything. And it's, we have to constantly evaluate, is it in line with who I am as a follower of Christ? If it's not, then get in line, because that's our calling, is to line up behind Jesus. We are of the party of Jesus, as we learned a while back, the church at Antioch, the first Christians, that's what it means, of the party of Jesus. So we represent Him first and foremost, having the Lord's and the church's blessing. Starting in verse uh, 25 of chapter 12, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, and you'll see that mission completed or what they were on in chapter 11 at the end of that, taking an offering to the people in Jerusalem who were suffering from a famine, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. He was also Paul or Barnabas's cousin. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, we see my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, this is Paul writing, sends you his greetings, as does Mark the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now we're going to see later in this chapter that he hits the road. He's with him for a while and then he leaves. No one knows for sure why he left, but we know one thing for sure. It really made Paul angry, really angry. And he didn't want to take him on any more trips. This guy quit. He hit the road. He, you know, he's not shining. He's dull. We don't want him around. But they reconciled later. What a, what a wonderful story of reconciliation. We'll get to that later as we continue to study through Acts. Now in the church at Antioch, which was farther north from Jerusalem, 
you'll find that on your map, or we'll look at the map here in a second, or the one in the back of your Bible. The church at Antioch, which was a very cosmopolitan uh, area, a very large city, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, or some versions say the black man, probably from a, obviously a race that was, had very dark skin. Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them as, as a sign of blessing from the church and obviously from the Lord and sent them off. Being sent to shine, no matter where your mission field is, means having the Lord's and the church's blessing. We don't do things independently of the body. We are in coordination with one another. doesn't mean we don't take initiative, but we're always conscious of the fact that we are connected. We are one in the body of Christ, and so what you and I do represents the Lord and one another. That's a high calling. We need to think about that as we live our lives in various ways. So Barnabas and Paul, Saul, as he's still called here, had delivered that offering to the believers. They, they are sent out to shine, if you will, from the church in Antioch. And notice that the church had been worshiping, had been praying, had been fasting, and in that process of doing what they did, of doing what we do, the Holy Spirit spoke to their hearts. He said, send these guys out. You see, there were more people to be one to Christ, not just within the confines or the close geographic regions of Jerusalem and, and throughout Israel, but in every part of the world. And going back to Acts chapter 8, we're witnesses where? Both in our home and literally around the world. And so God calls us to a worldwide vision, a worldwide mission. This was the beginning of what we would call the first missionary journey. Dr. Tanley, Stanley Toussaint, on his commentary on Acts, talks about the diversity of the people within that church. He says, the diversity in the background of the leaders of the church at Antioch shows the cosmopolitan nature of the church. Barnabas was a Jew from Cyprus. We learned that in chapter 4, verse 36. Simeon was also a Jew, but his Latin nickname Niger, or in some translations, the black man, not only indicate he was of dark complexion, but also that he moved in Roman circles. He could be the Simon of Cyrene who carried Christ's cross, although there's some debate about that. Lucius was from Cyrene in North Africa. Manaean had, had high contact for he had been reared with Herod the Tetrarch, actually Herod Antipas who beheaded John the Baptist. Childhood friends, can you imagine? One killed John the Baptist, the other one followed Jesus. Different paths for different folks, I guess, huh? Who treated the Lord so shamefully at his trial, and so on and so forth. But then at the end of the list, for he was last on the scene, was Saul, a Jew trained in rabbinical schools, probably worth a doctorate in education. Despite their variegated backgrounds, these men functioned as one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. Together, they served the Lord. Scottish preacher Thomas Chalmers, who lived from 1780 to 1847, says this about prayer. As we have been emphasizing prayer and looking for ways to bring prayer more and more into the life of our church. Not that it wasn't there before, we're just realizing, I think, more and more as leaders and I think our church family is sensing that prayer is critical 
for the health and the ministry of what we do here. He says this, prayer does not enable us to do a greater work for God. Sometimes we think of prayer as, okay, Lord, I'm going to preach a message or do whatever we do. Would you bless that? Well, now, that's not, not a bad idea to ask for that. But here's what he says. Prayer is, does not enable us to do a greater work for God. Prayer is a greater work for God. Prayer is a greater work for God. When we call on the God of eternity to move in the hearts of people, we are doing a great work. We want to work hard at that. That is so important. Henry Martin, a former missionary to India, in talking about mission, says the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we must become. Do you want to have more of a heart for people who don't know Jesus? Get close to Jesus. He'll give you his heart because we know he has a heart for the lost. And you know why I know that? Because he saved me and he saved you. Each and every one of us was as lost as the next person, as bad as the next person in our hearts. And yet Jesus in his mercy said, I'm going to, I'm going to bring salvation to you. Now I want you to do the same to others because it all travels through relationships relationships with people who know Jesus who don't know Jesus that's how the gospel is spread as we serve together just as Barnabas and Saul were set apart for their mission through the prayers through fasting through the Holy Spirit saying set these guys apart I have a special mission for them every believer every believer there are no exceptions every believer is set apart for the mission field to which God has called them first Peter chapter Two describes us. It's so critical that we look at ourselves and we look at one another the way God looks at us. Sometimes we look at one another by, you know, what we look like or don't look like or what we do or don't do or where we live or don't live. And, and, and those are normal things. I'm not saying that's wrong. But we need to put more and more of the lens of Jesus in our eyes and look at one another in Christ because that's how he looks at us. And all of the characteristics of those are on a little bookmark right down here in front in the prayer corner. So come for prayer. Pick up a bookmark and pray about that because that's who you really are in this world. Your position is in Christ is critical in how we live and perceive ourselves. First Peter chapter 2 says it this way, But you, plural, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now... You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are we? We're the people of God. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places right now. And you're saying, no, I'm in Shafter, California. Well, not in God's mind. You are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And he sends every one of us to a mission field that starts not someday, but you're already in it. So we need to make sure we open our eyes and our hearts to see who's in that field, and how God wants to use us personally and corporately to reach people for Jesus Christ. Monday, I, I, I've been on the road a lot this week. I don't like having weeks like this, but sometimes it's just the way it is. So Monday, I traveled up to Fresno for one of our district board meetings. Uh, we are currently in the process of looking for our next district minister. We have a search committee together, and we've been active. The second thing is we also are taking a step back and we're saying, what is the Pacific District Conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches on the West Coast all about? 
What's the point? Why are we doing what we're doing? We need some help. So we brought a guy in named Justin Manzi. He actually had been at our sister church in Fresno, Bethany Church, who's going through a similar process. A lot of our churches are going through this. So welcome to the club, asking some questions about what's our mission, what do we need to do, not do, so forth. It sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, we're in the thick of that too. Justin Manzi came and he said a lot of significant things. But I think one of the ones that stood, that boiled to the top for me as I listened in perspective of the Pacific District, but also as I thought about our local church and other local churches represented around that table, he said this, every organization, every organization, including the church, needs to know why it exists. In other words, what are we here for? Because if we can't answer that question, we have no idea what our mission is. What are we here for? Now, I would hope all of us could answer that fairly well. We've been talking a lot about that. The Great Commission, go and make followers of Jesus. First, we've got to get them to come, right? Enter into our lives, life of our church. Invite them to follow Jesus, and then they go and make disciples. They go and bear fruit. They, they make followers of Jesus Christ. It's simple. It's not complicated, but it is obedience in action. We have the great commandment to love God, to love people, so on and so forth. So as, as we as a church are working on that, we have a committee meeting today, the master planning committee. You may not even know we had one. Well, yeah, we do. We have 10 people on that, and we're looking at the, the facilities of our church, the ministries of our church, and offering some thoughts and insights to our church council who are going through the book for chair discipling. It's a lot of hard work, but is it worth it? You bet it is, because God has given us a mission as a church And we want to hang on to that and we want to clarify that and better understand what that means for the next 99 years. Because I forgot we turned 101 last fall. I guess I'm getting old. I'm losing my memory. But anyway, the point being, you know, there's a bright future for every church as they align themselves with the mission of Jesus. Because the good work he has begun, he's not going to give up on. But we've got to be in line with that and empowered by the Holy Spirit and on mission as we are set apart for the Lord. But in the mission that we step out on, you, you go on mission, I can guarantee you this, you're going to face opposition, but we can face it with confidence as we see here in 13, 4 through 12. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. They started with the familiar, if you will. Where were the people? They went to them. John was with them as their helper, John Mark. As they traveled through the whole uh, island until they came to Paphos, there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. False prophet named son of Jesus. Man, that you know, get that one through your head, who was an attendant of the proconsul or a governor, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul or the governor was an intelligent man. He sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus, who's the same guy, Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. 
Now that's evangelism, huh? You ever wanted to do that? <laughs> Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. He saw the power of God. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now this is a good time to take your map out or we'll have one on the screen here that you can follow along. Let me grab mine so I... Make sure we're heading in the right direction. They left Antioch and they went about 16 miles to the port city of Seleucia. Uh, from Seleucia, they, they sailed about 100 miles to Cyprus. Cyprus is where Barnabas was from. They landed in, in Salamis and from Salamis to Paphos, they worked their way across the island about 90 miles. Okay, this is all by foot. Maybe had some animals along the way, but a lot, of, a lot of leg power. After they finished their work there, then they went another 160 miles by sailing to Pamphylia. You'll see that there kind of next to Lycia, mountain's dead center in this, on the screen. From Pamphylia, from the port city then, it was about a 100-mile trip up 3,600 feet to Antioch, Pisidia. Now you may go, well, didn't they just leave Antioch? Did they go in a circle? No, there were about 16 Antiochs back in those days because it was named after a Roman ruler's father. So everywhere he went, let's call this place Antioch. And let's call that one over there Antioch. So they just kind of did them by region. So don't get confused, but there's lots of Antiochs around. So Paul and Barnabas and John started on this journey although we know John Mark left at some point. So the, traveling across the island, they, they came to Paphos. They encountered the Jewish sorcerer. There was a confrontation. Jesus won that confrontation. Paul proclaimed in the power of the Lord against Elamas or, or Bar-Jesus. And we know that God did what only he can do. Now there's a question, you know, Saul, Paul, wh which is it? Well, it's both. One scholar says this, as a Roman citizen, Paul had three names and perhaps four. Paul, or actually the Latin Paulus, was his third name, which showed the branch of the clan from which he descended. His first two names are unknown. Saul was probably his fourth name commonly used in a Jewish environment. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. King Saul was from Benjamin. So again, kind of a title of honor, if you will. Since Paul uh, operated primarily in a Gentile context from this point on in the book of Acts, Luke uses his name Paul. Same guy, different name, different context, and yet God chose to give him a, an extra name, if you will, that would work interchangeably, perhaps, where he was. So as we step out to fulfill this mission that God has given each and every one of us, or us as a church, we want to have the Lord's blessing and one another's blessing as we go, wherever that going is. We're going to face opposition, but we can do it with confidence because God is sovereign. He's in control. He's opening doors. He's closing doors. He's giving us the power we need. But as we do that, we also need to know and share the gospel very consistently. Knowing and sharing the gospel is part of being sent to shine, starting in verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companion sailed from Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them. There's when John Mark left, and Paul got ticked, and we'll pick that up later. Left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue, sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, 
If you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, he took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witness to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalms, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your day that you would never believe if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. 
The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off of their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Knowing and sharing the gospel, as we go on this mission that God has called us to, we need to know what we're talking about. It's critical. may not be a scholar. We don't need to be, know everything there is, to know about everything in the Bible. But to know the basics of the gospel is very important. Now you may say, well, okay, I, th- I think I know them. I'm not real sure. Let me give you, a, or let me tell you a, a great little resource. And the, some of these are out in the foyer on the credenza. Steps to Peace with God. Billy Graham Association. I, I would, you'd probably agree with me that Billy knew the gospel pretty well. Shared it for many, many years faithfully. This is a great little tool. I carry one of these with me wherever I go. And when the opportunity comes in a conversation, I might say, hey, you know what? Let me just give this to you. Why don't you read it? And we'll get together later and talk about it. Give them the freedom to read it on their own, think about it, and then you begin to talk about it. The basics of the gospel are in here. I would encourage you to have one handy as you go on your mission, wherever that may take you, as we are on mission together. Leith Anderson is the past president of National Association of Evangelicals, just recently retired from that role. He says this, though, in their latest magazine about evangelism today for church health tomorrow. The biggest predictor of future faith in growing churches is evangelism. Evangelism. Why do churches survive and thrive? Because they recruit new people. He goes on to talk about political and cultural shifts towards isolationism today, protectionism, nationalism, morphing into growing what he calls tribalism. He says after World War II, there was a huge expansion of missions around the world and a great outpouring of God's Spirit leading the North American church to lead the charge in many ways. But the tendency he's seeing today is to pull inward and protect ourselves. That's not the mission of the church, never has been, never will be. The mission of the church is clearly to go. And as we are going, and as we see ourselves as God sees us, people of God sent to shine, may the Lord open doors of opportunity for us individually and corporately to do evangelism because it is for the sake of every church, including Shafter Mennonite Brethren. You see, our personal and corporate mission is always more effective when we have the blessing of God and His church. Let's bless one another in our mission. We can face opposition with more confidence and share the gospel freely when those things are in place. And what a a great time to have communion as we, in a sense, take time to say, Lord, how's my light? Is it bright or is it dull? And if it's dull, man, I want to deal with that. Today, not someday, but today, confessing sins to you, making it right with you and others if I need to, so that I might, too, be sent to shine and share what God has given